Welcome to the Hope in the Hard Times sermon series. I preached this series of messages back in 2012 at the Metropolitan Bible Church, shortly after I had gone through treatments for cancer. Now in 2020, as we face hard times related to the coronavirus, we at Heritage College and Seminary are re-releasing the sermon set along with a companion study guide. As you dig deeper into God's Word, you will receive hope in the hard times. Over the past few months, we've been in a series here at the Met on Sunday mornings entitled Hope in the Hard Times. And we've been looking at some of the hopeful ways that God works in our lives when life is hard on us. How he works in us when life is hard on us. How he moves in us. And what we've seen so far is that God uses hard times to press us closer to himself. He stretches our hearts, he softens our hearts, he shapes our hearts to get us closer and closer to himself. But today we're going to see that he not only moves to get us closer to himself, he uses hard times to get us closer to others. He not only wants to have hard times push us closer to Christ, he wants those same hard times to push us closer to other Christians. In other words, when we're going through the fiery trials one of the things that God is up to is he wants to forge a fellowship of suffering between believers. That's one of the lessons that I have been learning over these last months as I've journeyed through cancer treatment. In fact, I would say one of the most surprising and one of the most satisfying side effects of the journey I've been on has been the way God has used it to deepen some of my relationships the way he's helped to connect me closer with other people, starting with my wife, Linda, and my kids. I mean, this pulled us together. We leaned on each other harder. And then extending to others, many of you in our church family here. I just feel like God has allowed this time to, to allow me to receive the love of God's people. It's been amazing. But not just here in our church. It's also been something God has used to extend his blessing through relationships around our city, and specifically, in my case, with other pastors. This journey has drawn me close to some other pastors in our city. And today, I've invited one of them, who's become a dear friend of mine, to join us for a few minutes. So, Barry Boucher and Barry's wife, Joyce, is with them. Barry is one of the founding pastors of the Life Center, which is a church out on Innes Road. Uh, they're celebrating, I think, their 30-year anniversary uh, this year, and uh, so we're celebrating with them. And now, Barry and I knew each other a little bit over the years, more of knew of each other. Right. I mean, we served in different churches, we're from different denominational backgrounds, we're in different sectors of the city. So I would say we kind of knew each other at a distance. But then, in the same month, we were diagnosed with the same cancer by the same doctor. And uh, that forged a fellowship that has become really meaningful to me, and I hope to Barry. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, it's just been a very, very powerful thing. And so I invited Barry to come and just take a few minutes. Uh, he's a fellow preacher, so he knows that uh, we, we're, we're going to have to work together on this one. But uh, I've asked Barry to take a few minutes and just talk about some of the ways God used the experience we were through, but not only in our life, but just how we used it in our community in ways that God forged the fellowship of suffering. So, Barry, uh, would you I'll give us... I'll just God use, bless you, I'll my brother. Please do. Yeah. 
Well, thank you, and thanks, Rick. Uh, you and Linda have become very, very dear friends to Joyce and I. Well, every pastor needs a pastor, and Rick, you have been that to me since I was diagnosed back in April of this year. So on behalf of Joyce and our entire family and the Life Center family, we want to express our deep appreciation to the pastoral staff and to all of you here at the Met for your prayers, mm -hmm. because cancer in any form affects your entire family and your entire life. Let me encourage you to never underestimate the power of prayer when a fellow believer asks you to pray for them. It has been what has sustained me during this difficult and painful time and those long, lonely nights where you sit up. To this day, we continue to see wonderful answers to the prayers that you have been praying. Rick and I have shared a very um, intimate journey <laughs> since April and have become more than fellow pastors. We have really become friends. It started when Linda was at one of the servant leadership team meetings for Mission Ottawa, and she asked that we would pray for Rick. And so we asked for what? And she said, well, he's going in for tests with prostate cancer. And I mentioned that while well, I was having the same tests done that week as well, and it turned out we did. We had the same urologist, Dr. Andrew Gerben. And our journey has been like a car race where the laps have been changing and the lead has been changing every single day. Uh, Rick went first for a biopsy. And after he had gone to that, I wanted to know every single detail because I was scheduled to go for mine just in about a week after. And so he shared the whole process and it helped me know what to expect and I went into that very, very peaceful. Uh, we talked with each other about personal results, and we struggled to know now what do we do? Where do we go from here? And we wanted to pray for wisdom that God would help us. I believe that those of you in the praying community assisted us in our decision-making as you asked God to give us wisdom and to direct our steps. With our wives, we shared our separate uh, issues. We mm -hmm. talked about our consultation with Dr. Gerben and what would we do next? Well, surgery was scheduled for me first and uh, I had high risk aggressive prostate cancer and uh, Rick had had some minor surgery done just before that. So once again, I asked him, what do I expect now going through surgery? And as usual, he walked me through every single step, preparation, the actual surgery and what to expect after. And then, lo and behold, on a Sunday afternoon after I had uh, my prostate surgery, he comes walking into my hospital room, and he wants to know every single detail <laughs> because he's about to go through the same process. And uh, I think I finally had a chance to comfort you a little bit before you went for yours. Uh, we spoke a number of times during recovery, and it was amazing how frank we were with one another. Rick finally went for surgery. I visited him in the hospital. We had a bunch of laughs right there in his hospital room. I joked about what it would be like for him now over the next couple of weeks. And I think I shocked his whole family. I shared probably way too much information. Uh, the next leg of the journey was 33 daily radiation treatments. And Rick went first this time. And so again, I was able to ask him, what am I supposed to expect? And he came right to the cancer center, reassured me, and helped me in the process. And so one of the most precious gifts uh, that I received also was that Rick arranged for one of the families here at the Met to provide a place for me to park my car every single day. Very simple, but a real wonderful answer to prayer. 
So we're both finished now, our surgeries and our radiation treatments. The only difference between Rick and I is I'm on hormone therapy for the next three years. And what that does is give me hot flashes. <laughs> Ladies, I understand what you're going through. <laughs> Hallelujah. <Yeah. laughs> they are something else. And so for me, the incredible support of individual believers that I met all over the city, whether in a restaurant, in a bookstore, in a shopping mall, mm -hmm. uh, you will never know what That's your right. words have meant That's to right. me. Mm -hmm. For senior pastors that uh, were going through prostate cancer, there were four of us going through it at the same time, and three of us had Dr. Gerben. He wanted to know what was in the holy water, he said. Mm -hmm. uh, we thanked him as a medical professional for being compassionate and skilled and dedicated as a surgeon. Uh, who had a calling on his life to help people be good stewards of the body that God had given them. We shared our faith with him in his office and in the operating room and reminded him that he could fix our bodies, but only God could heal us. Mm -hmm. At this time, I stand here absolutely amazed at the number of pastors and churches from all denominations, locally, nationally, and globally, that have offered their love and their prayer and their support. We have... Uh, been part of Mission Ottawa, believing God for the last 10 years to see churches come together, and who would have ever thought that that would be the thing that would bring us together? And so because we're pastors, we're not exempt from the struggles and the afflictions of life, and uh, Scripture sums it up best in 2 Corinthians 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort Comfort those who are in their affliction with the comfort with which we received. So, Rick, I want to say thank you uh, for your words of comfort, your prayers of faith, but most of all, for your friendship. I couldn't have done this as well as I did without you. Joyce and I are grateful for your acts of kindness to us as fellow ministers and partners in the gospel. You are loved and appreciated. God bless you. God bless the Met. And thank you all for allowing me these few minutes to share a bit of our story and give God all the glory. Amen. 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 Thank you, my brother. That's true. Very thank you. That was a powerful thank you, my friend. Love you, man. Love you, too. Thank you. Wow. Wow. Thank you, Barry. You know, uh, Barry, when he uh, emailed me to tell, tell me that he was willing to, to speak up here, he, he said, I'd like to read these verses from 2 Corinthians chapter 1. What he didn't know is that's the same passage I had been preparing to preach on this morning, because that's a passage that talks about what we experience and what many of you have experienced in the fellowship of suffering. So can we turn to the passage that Barry referenced? It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and we're going to be in verses 1 through 11 today, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Let's talk some about the fellowship of suffering, how God uses hard times to forge a fellowship that is very, very precious. Let me pray for us, and then we'll look at this passage together. Lord, even as Barry was uh, recounting that, I just have to say thank you for the people that you put in my life to walk me through a, a challenging season and to still walk with me. Thank you for my family, my wife Linda and my children. Thank you for my church family. So many here, Lord. Wow, it was just, it was so moving to me. And thank you for the wider church family, the wider Christian family of faith in our community. People like the Bouchers and others who have been such a strength. Lord, I ask that today 
you would help us. I think there are probably some people here today who feel that they're going through hard times all by themselves. They feel all alone. And I'm asking, Lord, that that would not remain the case, that you would use what we talk about today and in these next weeks to forge fellowships of suffering so that nobody walks alone. And I'm asking this in Jesus' name. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 begins with these words, Paul, the apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God in Corinth, together with all the saints throughout Achaia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we are distressed, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you will share in our comfort. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. That passage talks about the fellowship of suffering. In fact, I I find that it comes out most clearly in verse 7. Look at verse 7. Do you see where Paul uses this little phrase towards the end of the verse? It says, just as you share in our sufferings. You see the word share there? Share in our sufferings. Uh, The Greek word that's translated share is the word for fellowship. It may be a word you're familiar with, with. The Greek word there is koinonos, which gives, uh, well, it's related to our word koinonia, which gives us our English word, fellowship. So when he says you share in our sufferings, he's saying you fellowship in our sufferings. It's a fellowship of suffering. Now that word koinonas that shows up there for share, it means to share in common, to share something in common with people. For example, it shows up in Luke chapter 5, verse 10, and it's translated by our English word partner. So fellowship is about the idea of partnering. In Luke 5.10, it says, Peter, James, and John were partners in a fishing business. They were business partners. They shared the same business. Same word shows up in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 23. And there, Paul says, Titus is my partner, koinonos. And there he's saying, he's my teammate. We're partners in ministry. We share the same ministry. So here in our verse, 2 Corinthians 1.7, when he says you share in our sufferings, he's saying, listen, we are partners in pain. 
We are teammates in tribulation. We are fellowship. We are sharers of suffering. Now, the good news in verse 7 is that if you are part of a fellowship of suffering, you can then be part of a fellowship of comfort. Do you see how verse 7 ends? Just as you share in our sufferings, look what comes next. So also you will share in our comfort. That's pretty hopeful, isn't it? Like he's saying, if you're part of a fellowship of suffering, one of the benefits is that you'll get in on the fellowship of comfort. And in this passage that I read to you, Paul talks about a couple ways that the, this fellowship of suffering brings us comfort. And this morning, I, I want to I show you those from these verses. And if you're going through a time of great distress and trouble and trial and pressure, here's the hope. God wants to forge a fellowship of suffering for you that leads to a fellowship of comfort for you. Yep, for that? Well, how does that happen? Well, Paul details it. If we go back to verse 3, he tells you the first way that comfort starts coming in the midst of this fellowship of suffering. And in verse 3, what Paul is going to begin to tell us is this. In our hard times, in hard times, we can find comfort in our fellowship with Christ. In hard times, we can find comfort. So comfort starts coming our way through our fellowship with Christ. Through a fellowship of suffering with Jesus, we can actually find comfort in our hard times. Uh, Paul starts talking about that in verse 3. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us. So God wants to give us comfort. Now, in this passage, if you, if you kind of followed along as I read it, you know that Paul was talking about some difficult times in his life. He had suffered greatly. In fact, in verse 8, he kind of does this flashback where he remembers what he was going through, the hard times he was living through. Look at verse 8. He says, Brothers, we do not want you to be uninformed about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. By the way, the province of Asia in Paul's day was what we would know today as Turkey, country of Turkey. So that's kind of where he was. And look what he says in verse 8. In the province of Asia, we were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. Have you ever been under that kind of pressure? Or you, maybe you're there today. Have you ever been under the kind of pressure that you say, this is great pressure, this is far beyond my ability to endure? Not just a little bit beyond. This is not just a stretch for me. This is like overwhelming to me. This is not just thunderstorm kind of pressure. This is tsunami pressure. This is one of those times in my life where I say, I'm just overwhelmed by this. Paul said that's what he had going in the province of Asia. And then look what happened next. He says in verse 8, we're under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death Paul says, I'll be honest with you, I didn't think I was going to live through it. I, I lost hope that I was going to live through this. I despaired of life. I felt in my heart the sentence of death. You, have you had that before? Have you had times in your life where you thought, I don't think I'm going to make it through this. I, I literally am not sure I will live through this. Paul says he, he was there. Well, where do you find comfort? Where do you find hope at times like that? 
Well, Paul says, listen, in hard times, you can, kind, you can find comfort in your fellowship with Christ. That God wants to give you comfort. And that's why he says in verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. He's not just the God of some comfort. He's the God of all comfort, it says. And then verse 4, who comforts us in our troubles. Actually, I didn't read that right, did I? Look at it closely. He doesn't just say who comforts us in our troubles. I missed a word. He who comforts us in all our troubles. So the God of all comfort is there to give comfort in all troubles. And then verse 5 says that this comfort God gives comes through Christ. Look at verse 5. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. So Paul is saying that God sees us in our hard times and he wants to give comfort. He's the God of all comfort. So he gives comfort to us, but verse 5 says that the comfort comes through Christ. You see that in verse 5? So also through Christ, our comfort overflows. Now that little phrase, through Christ, that's shorthand in Paul's vocabulary. That's shorthand for through union with Christ. When Paul says in Christ or through Christ, he, he, what he's thinking is through union with Christ or in union with Christ. See, the essence of the Christian life, if you're new here today and you're kind of figuring out or even wondering, what is Christianity all about? Is it just going to church? Is it just kind of saying certain things? Is it doing certain things? Let me be really clear. The essence of Christianity, the essence of the Christian faith is being united with Christ, living in union with Christ, where his life comes into your life and it actually changes you. And the way that you get united with Christ, the Bible says, is through repentance and faith. You have to come to a place in your life where you go, man, I'm not united to Christ. I, I, maybe I know about him. Maybe I don't. But I would like to be, I'd like to be connected to Christ. I'd like to be united. So repentance means you turn from your old way, turn from your sin. And faith means you turn to Jesus. You trust in him. You trust that his death was payment for your sins. You trust that his resurrection ensures your life, your eternal life. You trust his authority to guide you and direct you in life. You, you get connected to Christ through your faith. And when that happens, get this, it opens up to you the very blessings of God. Ephesians 1.3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ in union with Christ. So once you're connected to Christ through faith, it's like it opens up heaven to you. And God begins to give you the blessing of forgiveness of your sins. All the things you've done that you've screwed up big time. He comes and says, I'll forgive you for those. He gives you the gift of eternal life so that when you face the shadow of the valley of death, you don't have to be as afraid because you know that on the far side, you, you got heaven waiting for you. He gives you the gift of of his Holy Spirit living inside of you. And according to our passage, he gives you the gift of his comfort. He starts sending his comfort your way through Christ. Once you're connected to Christ. Well, you say, well, how does, he, how does this work? 
How does God up in heaven send his comfort to me through Christ? How does that work? Well, it comes in a variety of ways. Sometimes it just comes through the sense of peace, the peace of Christ that just floods your heart. You can't even figure out why you're peaceful. But you know somehow it's the peace of Christ. Jesus said that in John 14, 27. He says, my peace I give you. Not like the world gives you. Don't let your heart be troubled. I'm giving you peace. And sometimes in the worst of times, you just have this sense of peace. And that's part of God's comfort in your life. Sometimes his, com his comfort comes through the word of Christ. You're going through a hard time and you still open the Bible and you read. And there is something in the, in the scriptures that speaks to your heart and strengthens your heart. And that's the comfort of God coming, you, coming to you through his word. So it comes through the peace of Christ, through the word of Christ. But today, in our passage, Paul emphasizes something else. He says that the comfort of God through Christ comes to us through the people of Christ. God sends people who are like the human delivery system for his comfort. In fact, that's really the main thing that Paul emphasizes. He starts off by saying, in our hard times, in hard times, we can, we can find comfort in our fellowship with Christ but now where he goes and where he really camps out is this. He says, in hard times, we can find comfort through our fellowship with Christians. Not just with Christ, but with the people of Christ, with Christians. God wants to send his comfort to us in flesh and blood in the person of another believer who comes to be the hands and feet and arms and smile and touch of Jesus to us. In our times, we can find comfort through our fellowship with Christians. And that's why in verse 7, Paul says, you share in our sufferings, you share in our comfort. Like there's this fellowship of suffering that brings a fellowship of comfort. But at this point, at this point, I have to be honest with you. It doesn't happen automatically. This fellowship with other Christians doesn't happen automatically. It's very possible to go through hard times and go through them all alone. Right? Just because you're going through hard times doesn't mean you're going to experience this fellowship of suffering. Probably you've had times in your life where you feel like this is a really hard time and I, I don't feel like there's anybody here for me. So if we're going to be part of this fellowship of suffering that brings the fellowship of comfort... Listen, Paul says we got to do some things. There's a part that we have to play, that you have to play. There are some things that we can do that help move us into a fellowship of suffering that is meaningful and comforting. And Paul highlights three of those things in our passage. And I want to touch on all three here in the time we have left. And I want to speak to you very personally because I've lived these. But I want to speak to you pastorally in the sense that I want you to experience these. It breaks my heart to think that people can walk through hard times and be all alone. God never intended that. It breaks my heart to think that some of us have the gift of comfort to bring to others and we don't do it. God never intended that. So let's look at three things that we can do to enter into a fellowship of suffering. How do you do that? Well, the first one I would say Paul highlights in verses 4, 5, 6, and 7. The first thing that he did that we can do is simply this. You want to enter into that fellowship of suffering? First thing is this. Share the comfort you receive from God. Share the comfort. Remember the word share means to fellowship. So fellowship in the comfort that you've received from God. 
Share the comfort you receive from God. Don't just keep it to yourself. Share it with others. Pass it on. Paul emphasizes that in verse 3. Look at it. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles. Look what comes next. So that, here's the purpose. Why does he comfort us in all our troubles? So that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. Notice two things about that. He says God comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can help those in any trouble. In other words, you don't have to have gone through the exact same thing that someone else goes through before you can be a comfort to them. He says in any trouble. Paul didn't have every kind of trouble, but he says I can help someone in any trouble because I've received comfort from God and that comfort can go to anyone in any trouble. In fact, another thing he says in verse 4 shows up is that you give this comfort while you're still receiving it. Like, it's not just that you get through all your troubles, life is perfect for you, and now you go, okay, I guess maybe I can go help someone else. I say that because, do you see in the end of verse 4 where it says, with the comfort we have received from God? In the original text, Paul uses a present tense verb there. So he, he's actually saying, we, we share the comfort we are receiving from God. Like, I'm still in the middle of getting this, he says. God is still pouring it into my life, and as he's doing that, while I'm still needing it myself, I'm passing it on to others. And the reason he can pass it on is because God gives an overflow of comfort. He says that in verse 5. Look at verse 5. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. Isn't that a beautiful thought? It's like God is not miserly with his comfort. Here you're going through a hard time and he's saying, okay, how much do you need? What's the minimum level of comfort you need? Well, that's going to be, you're asking a bit much. How about we give you about 40% of that? No, it's like he gives 150%, he says, so that it actually spills over. God starts pouring his comfort into your heart and it's enough for you and it's enough for others. So you can share the comfort you're receiving from God. In fact, get this. Sometimes God will allow you to go through a hard time so that you can receive comfort and share it. Have you ever thought about that? That God might actually want you to go through some deep waters so that actually you can know how to comfort others? Paul says that in verse 6. Look at it. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort. Listen to that again. If we are distressed, and he was, well, why are you distressed, Paul? It is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you the patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. Linda and I have some neighbor friends who are now in a retirement home, a rest home, actually. And they had become Christians a handful of years ago through taking the Alpha course here. And we were visiting them in the rest home where they live. And uh, so they're newer believers. And she is up in age. And she said to me, uh, Pastor Rick, I've been struggling with God and why he would let you have cancer. I said, oh, really? She said, yeah, I've been asking him, why would you let Pastor Rick get cancer? And I said, did you get an answer? <laughs> and she said, I did. I said, well, what's, what was the answer? And she said, so you can understand what other people go through. 
And then she said to me, you've had a pretty nice life, which is true. And she said, I think this will help you be a better pastor. I remember hearing of a young preacher who was, he was just very gifted and he was speaking away and, and an older pastor came to, to the service one night and a lady went up to the older pastor and said, did you hear our young pastor? Isn't he something? And the older pastor said this, he'll be better after he suffers. There's something about that, that God needs to work in us so he can work through us. And he wants to give you his comfort so that you can share it. And that's where verse 7 goes. He says, so just as you share in our sufferings, you also share in our comfort. So how can you enter into a fellowship of suffering? Well, one thing you need to do is you need to be connected to Jesus, right? So that you can actually receive the comfort of God. Some of you here today aren't connected to Christ. You've never trusted in Christ. That's where you start. Because until you're connected to Christ... You're not going to be receiving the comfort of God like he wants to give you. Oh, he still comforts people. God is gracious. But if you want to know the real comfort of God, you have to be connected with Christ. So you connect with Christ through your faith. And then when you're going through hard times, you look to him to comfort you. And then you start sharing that comfort with other people. Now, at this point, some of you are thinking, well, I don't know how to do that. I mean, it's not like I'm a trained counselor. I, I don't have training in this. I, I feel tongue-tied. I don't know what to say to people. I, I want to comfort some, but I don't know what to do. And I would say to you, sometimes the way you receive comfort and, and share that comfort doesn't take a lot of words. Think about it. With Job, Job's friends were the most help to him when they weren't saying anything. Right? They came and sat with him for seven days. It was only when they started talking that things really went south. Sometimes we bring the comfort of God to people just by our presence, just by showing up. If you have a connection with them and there's a relationship and you just come. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 6, Paul says this, God who comforts the depressed comforted us through the coming of Titus. Isn't that interesting? He said, man, we were really wiped out. And God comforted us when Titus came. Now, Titus did speak to them and brought a report that encouraged him. But just Titus is coming. And sometimes just showing up in somebody's life. You can comfort by your presence. Another way you can bring comfort is through your tears. It doesn't take a lot of words to shed tears. Linda would tell you that one of the moments that she remembers over these last months that was very comforting was when one of our neighbors first heard of what was going on with me, and the neighbor just came up and couldn't even speak. Just choked up, right? Just gave her a hug. Doesn't take a lot of words. It does take that comfort in your heart that you share with others. So let me ask you, is there someone in your world around you that you've had on your heart? You know they're going through a hard time. Could it be that God wants to use you to bring the comfort to them? you got to share the comfort you've received from God. That's the first thing. But there's a second thing, because there is a time to speak words. Oh, yes, uh, the Bible does say just rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. So sometimes we don't use a lot of words. But if we want to comfort someone and be this part of this fellowship of of suffering, there is a time to speak. 
And Paul tells us a second thing that we can do to enter into it, and it involves our words. I put it this way. Not only share the comfort you receive from God, but secondly, share the lessons you've learned through suffering. If you want to comfort somebody, you want to be part of this fellowship of comforting, share the lessons you've learned through suffering. Paul does that. Look at verse 8. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Paul begins to tell about his sufferings. And he, he doesn't downplay them, does he? He doesn't just skate over them. He doesn't just say, you know, I, yeah, you're right. We kind of had a little rough, we had a rough patch when we were in Asia. He said, listen, I'll tell you, I'll be honest with you. We were in over our heads. It was far beyond our ability to endure. I gave up on life. I didn't think I was going to make it through. So Paul is candid. He's honest. He's humble. He talks about his sufferings. But here's the deal. He doesn't stop there. Sometimes we just get around and we just can commiserate about how crummy life is for us. Paul doesn't do that. He talks about these hard times, but look in verse 9. He then says, but this is what I learned from those hard times. Verse 9. But this happened. What happened? All the hard things. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Paul says, let me tell you what I learned through this. Let me share with you some of the lessons that God is teaching me through this hard time. And then he talks about the lessons he learned kind of in two areas. And you can remember these two areas. These are, these are kind of the two categories. You share about your own frailty and you share about God's faithfulness. I mean, you can always do that. When you're going to share what you've learned in hard times, usually has those two themes, your frailty, God's faithfulness. Paul says, let me tell you what I learned about myself. I've got limits I mean, I, I was past my limits. I was out of my depths. I'm not as strong as I'd like to be. I despaired of life. I lost hope. He's honest about his frailty, but then he's honest about God's faithfulness. He says, this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God. I've learned that you can hang on to God in the hardest times in your life. I've learned that God is the rock that doesn't move. I've learned to lean on him harder. If you want to comfort people and be part of a fellowship of suffering, you share the lessons you've learned about your own frailty and about God's faithfulness. Brother Barry and I did this a whole lot, as he, as he told you. We would talk on the phone or we would get together and we were really honest about our anxieties, about our fears, about our questions. I remember one time calling him and I had just been rocked by some bad news. And I, I just knew I needed to talk to Barry, and I called him, and he was able to speak to me about what God had taught him about trusting God and still being a good steward of his body. And I hung up the phone, and I was comforted. He talked about the night when I just came out of surgery. He showed up, and my family was all around, and he was like Jerry Seinfeld that night. He was telling jokes about... Uh, you know, adult diapers and all these other things that are part of this whole process. And my kids were wide-eyed and, uh, and we were laughing and it was a gift to us because it was a fellowship of suffering. But it wasn't just about the suffering, it was about the lessons. It was about the faithfulness of God in it. 
And if you want to be part of this kind of fellowship, you got to take a step. you got to move towards somebody. Oh, you don't just blast in with saying the wrong things. By the way, it's possible to say the wrong things to people too. There are some things I learned I don't want to say to people. I had people come up to me and say, you got that cancer? Oh, man, I know a bunch of people that died with that. <laughs> I'm thinking, well, you know, that's probably true, but how about, how about you keep that to yourself, you know? <laughs> but when they would come to me and say, you got that? And then in the right time, without trying to kind of be pushy, they would say, you know, I know something about those things, and one thing I've learned is, God really comes through at those times, right? You can count on them. So you can, you can admit your own frailties and you speak of the faithfulness of God and those things comfort people. So you want to enter into a fellowship of suffering? Well, you got to share the comfort you've received from God. you got to be willing to step into people's lives, be willing to move closer. And then when you do speak, you speak of the lessons you've learned through suffering. And there's one final thing. Paul says in verses 10 and 11, and this is maybe the most immediate one you can apply. You also pray, or I'd put it this way. You enter in the fellowship of suffering as you share the work and the joy of prayer. You share the work and the joy of prayer. You want to be part of this fellowship of suffering? The best way you can join in is through prayer. Many of you were part of a fellowship, fellowship of suffering with me, and I would say Barry feels the same, because many of you joined into the work and joy of prayer. Look how Paul talks about that in verse 10. He says, He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will continue to deliver us. Look at verse 11. As you help us by your prayers. You see that? as you help us by your prayers. He's saying, listen, God does the delivering, but you actually help. It's like God scores the goal, but you get an assist because you prayed. And then he says in verse 11, then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted to us in answer to the prayers of many. Prayers of many. See, the fellowship of suffering doesn't have to be a little tight, tiny circle. It's a wide circle because many of us can pray. And when you hear of someone going through a hard time, you can be part of the fellowship at every time by prayer. You can join in the work of prayer. By the way, it is a labor. The word for uh, help there in verse 11 where he says, as you help us by your prayers, the word help is linked to the Greek word for work. So Paul is admitting that prayer is a work. It's a labor of love. You give yourself to it. Colossians 4.12 talks about a man named Epaphras, who is, Paul says, was wrestling in his prayers for you. I mean, this guy is laboring. He, he's, he's not just shooting up a, oh, Lord, bless Paul prayer. He's, he's crying out. He's praying for people. And then when you get in the work of prayer, you get in on the joy of it. Because he says in the end of verse 11, many will give thanks for the gracious favor granted us in, the, in, in answer to the prayers of many. Prayer is a great work, but boy, it's a great joy. When you see answers to prayer, Barry just got back from a mission trip. He was over in Ukraine. I think you were in Turkey too, weren't you? And so I've been praying for him. And this is the first time we've seen each other since he got back. And I said, Barry, how did, how did it go? And he said, it was phenomenal. It was a wonderful trip. 
And I felt like I got to be part of that through my prayers. And now I can celebrate with him. And when you pray with somebody who's going through a hard time and God gives them strength in some way, you can help celebrate that. So what are you going to do with this today? Well, my prayer is that this fellowship of faith would never be the kind of place where people come in and leave and feel all alone. And that, and that, will, that, that desire will only, only change if those of us who receive comfort from God say, okay, God, who do you want me to share it with? As we close today, I want you to pray along two lines. If you're going through a rough time right now, you can ask God to comfort your heart and maybe even move some people close to you to help. But can you also pray, secondly, that God would use you to bring some comfort to someone else? I'll give you a moment to pray, and then we'll close in a song. But why don't you just talk to the Lord, both about your need for comfort, and then ask him to help you be a channel of his comfort to someone else. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Father of compassion and God of all comfort, I thank you, Lord, for the comfort that you give us in Christ through our union with Christ. Thank you for the comfort that comes as we read your word, as we enter into worship, as we experience your peace. But today I want to thank you especially for the comfort that comes through the people you send into our lives, who share the comfort that they've received from you with us. I want to just say that's a very precious thing. It makes us glad. And so we worship you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about online courses at Heritage College and Seminary, visit our website at discoverheritage.ca or visit our personal website at rickandlindareed.com.